Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. If you're like so many people around the world, you've had a great idea for a product. You've been dreaming about this product. The world could use it, everyone can buy it, and you can't wait to begin to start selling it. The problem, of course, is that you're unsure if the market will buy it. You asked your mom, your dad, your wife, your sister, your brother, your cousins, your neighbors, and every one of them think it's a great idea. Surprise! But how many can you really sell beyond that small group? Even if you decide that it's a viable product, how do you get it made? After all, this is way outside your comfort area and expertise. What's the right process? What's the materials? Where and how do you secure manufacturing? Trust me, the list goes on and on and on. Well, my guest today is Eric Rose, founder and president of Pinnacle Product Innovation to discuss how entrepreneurs and existing businesses can move new products from opportunity to market reality. So you have to stay tuned to find out. So dust off those ideas you submitted to George Foreman. We'll be right back after this break. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzigroup.com. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Eric Rose, founder and president of Pinnacle Product Innovation, to discuss how entrepreneurs and existing businesses can move new products from opportunity into market reality. Eric, welcome. Glad to be here, Angelo. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time um, out of your schedule for this. I, I, you know, you're the first person I've really had on talking about really product development and, and taking product to market. And uh, so I got a lot of questions on that. And I, I think it's going to be a great discussion. And, and certainly um, you have a chance to, to really broaden out my listeners' uh, experience and understanding because it's not easy. And I'll share a couple stories. I've had the opportunity actually to bring products to market. And uh, it's not always easy to get from point A to point B. Um, and doing all of that. But let's start by, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your business so we can have things in, in perspective as we continue this conversation. Sure. Well, I think it, it helps to kind of go way back because it sets the stage for who I am today. Uh, really, this product innovation space came into my blood at 14 years old when I rebuilt my first toaster. And once I was able to breathe new life into that product, then I was enamored by that process and what was inside under the skin of the toaster, um, I was hooked with this whole product design, product innovation. So eventually uh, got into shop class in high school and 
did really well there and then got a engineering degree from Arizona State in product design uh, and came to Los Angeles 1980 and started doing product development and 96 got an MBA and now I believe uh, here we are in 2020 I have uh, 40 years experience in bringing new products from opportunity to market from design to uh, you know understanding customer discovery and product market fit and manufacturing and the whole thing and those are the services that I offer today to my customers, and I've been teaching that subject at the college level for 10 years. So that's where I am. All right. Well, it sounds like you got a lot of knowledge you're going to impart today on the show. But I do have to ask, I mean, when I think of manufacturing and I think of product, a lot of times, and maybe this is my background, I start thinking of industrial products, you know, widgets, if you will. But do you get involved in, in food manufacturing as well? No, I have a couple colleagues that are really experts at that. Um, but my areas of expertise are consumer products. I spent five years at Mattel Toys. Medical products. I've spent a majority of my career in corporate America uh, in the healthcare products, the disposable medical devices, dental, durable medical equipment. And then the only real industrial products that I've worked on uh, have been PPE. I was the R&D director for one of the largest privately held um, manufacturers of PPE equipment in and they happen to be in Los Angeles. Uh, but no, don't do food, don't do pharma, don't do aerospace, don't do fashion. Okay. All right. And I, I've been in fashion, so uh, uh, not aerospace and not uh, not pharma. Um, I, I wanted to tell a story. And, I, and when you and I first started talking and met, I we found out we both worked on a client called Sunrise Medical. And I told you I had a story to tell you, and I never told you that story. So I'm going to take a couple <laughs> minutes to tell you this story. So this was a few years back, and it was a product called um, CareMate. Oh, yes. And it we was did basically a commode liner. Right, right. And we, we were marketing this product, and we started, you know, doing a lot of product line extensions and things like that that you were talking to the client about. And then the San Francisco earthquake happened. And so we had talked to the client and decided that we were going to take whatever inventory we had and send it up to San Francisco because obviously uh, facilities were disrupted, you know, water mains were broken and those kinds of things. We thought this would be a great way for people to be able to use the bathroom, if you will, and not have to to worry about all that kind of stuff and protect it. And, and you know, was a, there was a, a gel in there that would coagulate and, and, you know, take care of things. A hydrogel. Yeah, so we send all these up there, and they're being unloaded, and God knows why. One of the workers decides to, he's curious, he opens it up, sticks his head in there and smells, touches it, and has a, a major reaction to it, allergic oh, no. reaction. And, of course, that just sent all these, oh, my God, what is all this stuff? And they literally, they packaged it all back up and sent it back to us. And so we were in this verge of this big PR, you know, extravaganza. Oh, no. oh look what we did. And one guy <laughs> did something he wasn't supposed to do and and screwed it all up. So that was my, uh, that was my story on the commode liner. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just am finishing this week a major project as an expert witness in a product liability uh, litigation case. One of the things I learned in undergraduate school is foreseeable misuse. <laughs> I don't know that I would have foreseen anybody sticking their head in a commode liner. 
Oh man, it was. I, I'm sure curiosity that no idea, right? Because it just kind of opened up and it, you know, it was like a little case and you opened it up and you stuck it in the commode. But in this case, they were just arriving in boxes. So anyway, um, as one of those things that always stuck in the back of my mind, it was like, oh, we we're on such a verge of taking this product and really doing line extension, car, car, uh, car mate and camp mate and all these oh, other yes. different kinds of that. things we were working on. And uh, this kind of got derailed. So I do like to ask a few questions before we kind of get into the meat of this. And when it really comes to growing your business, what keeps you up at night? Uh, um, well, I think there's a couple of things. It's what market segments do I believe that I should be working in? And again, I, I work in consumer products, uh, healthcare products, industrial products, and in industrial kind of spanning between industrial uh, and healthcare is PPE. <clears throat> so more recently, I've been keeping up at night thinking about you know my value in PPE. I have experience in respiratory protection. I have experience in hearing protection. And the world today needs a whole lot better respiratory protection solutions. And so I just got confirmation this morning that one of the prospective clients who's going to be working in the respiratory protection PPE space is interested in uh, having me help them, he's he sees me as what he calls the harbor master of uh, his product innovation program in the PPE space to make sure that his new product innovation can be steered into the market safely through development and manufacturing and so forth. So I've purposefully let go in my business, and it was hard to do initially, some of the low-end consumer product development work uh, just because I can't seem to have a lot of people understand the value in doing the right market research to truly put the horse before the cart to do the customer discovery and product market fit that's necessary for success. And it's just not what sits well with me. They, a lot of the low-end consumer product folks there, it's, it's ready, fire, aim. And being an engineer, I'm a little more methodical than that. And it's taken me a while to come to grips with letting go of that part of my product development services. But uh, for the most part, I've let go of that. Well, and you mentioned market research and we've talked, and that certainly is a, a core competency of, of mine. And and I've struggled many, many times with people wanting to, to your point, ready, fire, aim, or whatever the statement was, that they want to get right to market. They don't want to talk to customers. They don't want to spend the time or the money. Right. And my ar argument is if we spend the upfront time to really understand that, it, it, frank, frankly, is it a viable product? What are the needs and wants that we can figure this out before we take this product to market? And and especially in those, you know, young entrepreneurs, the kind of startup businesses, they definitely don't want to spend that time, right? Everybody's going to want to buy my product or service because it's fantastic. It's great. And I'd buy a million of them. Well, maybe not everybody else will do that. And and I really appreciate when companies spend the time. I've had the chance to work on uh, Solomon ski boots, for example, and mm. a lot of the, the, I worked a lot in the action sports industry. Mm. So we looked at uh, analyzing shoes, next season shoes, and we'd go out on the road and we'd, we'd look at everything from shoelaces to the tongue thickness. It was in the skateboard industry, in the wearability and in the toes and the heels and, and really analyze and take, you know, 50, uh, pairs of shoes out, if you will, and start to narrow that down to the six or seven or eight lines that they would roll out. 
So I really appreciated that stuff or in the wine industry and, and running around the country and understanding. Oh, that sounds like a tough work. job. That was a tough job. Yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite actually was, um, I worked on Cabo Wabo tequila and I don't know that one. And part of it was to understand the brand and Sammy was owned by Sammy Hagar. Oh, and wow. so and, and w- they were positioning it as a high end tequila, but then you had Sammy, you know, doing concerts and having worms, you know, in, in costumes, you know, jumping around on stage. So it was a disconnect. So we did all this research, but part of my assignment was to go do competitive tasting. Oh, so me that. and my team for a month just did nothing but go out to, to restaurants and have tequilas, everything from, you know, the dollar shot to the $200 sipping tequila. So that was, that was a really fun assignment. Um, but I appreciate when people invest in the research to really gather that knowledge before they, they run off and do things. And I often you know, say it's proper prior planning prevents poor performance. I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it really does. And, and, uh, and we could probably just talk about the war stories of people not or doing research um, to continue on this conversation, but we're going to talk about other things. Sure. What is the best business advice you've ever received? You know, it's funny. The first thing that comes to mind is um, in the movie, The Graduate, when uh, the gentleman out by the swimming pool says to Dustin Hoffman, I want to give you one piece of advice. And he puts his arm around him and says, plastics. <laughs> you know, and I don't remember what it was, 60s, 70s, whatever it was. But for me, I don't know why. Uh, I started learning plastic product development and was fascinated by it in college. So before I ever graduated, I was already designing, uh, commercially designing plastic products and tooling. And that has never served me poorly. Uh, whether it was the fact that I had that experience before I graduated college, um, or that I got involved with the Society of Plastics Engineers when I first came to Los Angeles, all the doors that opened up, uh, the depth of knowledge of uh, manufacturing, uh, and that it was a transferable expertise from medical design to toys, uh, to other consumer products, even into PPE. Um, and it's, it's funny, you would have never thought something like that. So even for a little little while, I had a bumper sticker that said, plastic is fantastic. So. <laughs> well, you know, and thinking about the plastics, I'll call it broad industry. I mean, there's so much segmentation, as you were alluding to, is how that is used. I actually had a client in the ERP software industry. And when I started working with them, we said, you know, what's your, who's your target audience? They plastics. We, we do plastics. And so we started doing analysis of the leads they had and their customers. Like, well, you do plastics and consumer products. You do plastics and medical. You do plastics. It, but they just categorized everything as plastics. Mm-hmm. And so once we were able to do segmentation work, then we could identify, you know, where their opportunities were from and things like that. Well, I think what's really interesting now, though, is that the world has shifted to being more, you know, eco-friendly. And what does that mean to a product designer? So there's a whole new school of uh, learning on what's called design for recyclability, design for disassembly, um, cradle to cradle, moving from you know resin pellets through product use back to resin pellets. And how does someone like me, a product development professional is involved in plastic product development, incorporate eco-friendly uh, needs into products today? And there is this emerging field that uh, 
I think is, is great and quite responsible in how we look at the world in terms of offering great solutions and particularly like disposable medical devices, you know, that's certainly a little more difficult to go cradle to cradle, but toys, cars, uh, other consumer products. Um, so I, I still see it to be a valuable uh, area of expertise. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, I, you know, it, when we get into kind of the eco-friendly world, um, I had always found that so I worked on a product that was biodegradable, non-toxic, all that kind of stuff. And, and in, in one in the research, you know, it was like, how important are these things to the consumer? And it was like, yeah, these are fantastic. You know what? We love this. This is so important in today's society. Then we found out when they had to pay a little extra money for it, it wasn't some, you know, all that stuff wasn't so important anymore. So there's always that, that trade-off, but I, I sure. agree. I think there's a, a, a change in perception and, and well, we can, you know, talk about uh, all the different things when it comes to helping our planet. Right. Um, if, if your journey, which started at 14, <laughs> was a book, what would the title be? Wow. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is um, Buzz Lightyear, Falling with Style. I think the idea of um, falling forward through so many opportunities and, you know, for argument's sake, falling with style, whether it's uh, falling into the understanding of what industrial design is, that being product design and that man-machine interface, um, falling into some incredible internship opportunities in college that set the stage for multiple offers getting out of college with opportunities all across the country and in industries that I could have never imagined, and then being able to literally fall into this opportunity in Glendale, California, in the medical device industry, because I happened to knock on the door of a company that just lost that, their product designer that morning. And they started interviewing that day, uh, which they ended up hiring me over everybody else. And then being able to leverage that into the rest of my career and then falling into the opportunity to teach because I got my MBA from Pepperdine. Uh, and I was asked to guest lecture one night. And then the students told me that they thought I did a better job than their professor. <laughs> and that ended up turning into a part-time academic career. So, you know, and, and, and it goes on and on and on. So let's just say uh, falling with style. I like that. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I've always questioned is, and, and when people come to you, let's say, and, and they've got this great idea, they want to bring it to market and, I mean, there's there's that challenge. And do you find that there's kind of a consistency and misunderstandings or mistakes that that companies make or individuals make when they when they have these ideas that that they want to bring forward or they just don't really understand? Yeah, I would say 70, 80 percent of my clients coming through the door do inadequate amount of market research uh, to justify the downstream expense of product development and intellectual property protection. So over the years, I've studied and now teach. Uh, I'm also an entrepreneur in residence at Cal State Northridge. I teach the lean startup. So that Steve Blank originally created, and then Eric Rees wrote the book uh, on this concept of customer discovery and product market fit. We talked a little bit about it. Um, deeply understanding 
what is that opportunity? And I've had companies say to me, we've been in this business 30 years. We've got salesmen out on the, tea, on the field. We know what's going on. And then really they didn't. And it's not about what a salesman can sell. It's about what a customer needs and where his needs are going 12 to 18 to 24 months from now. And then how do you play that hockey puck to where he's going, not where he is, so that you end up tossing him the puck right before he scores right in front of the goal, not behind him you know, where he's already gone. So customer discovery, product market fit, understanding where the market's going is the one thing I see over and over again. It's really an opportunity for improvement. Okay. The, um, one of the things you, you talked about, and, and I, I'm not sure if it was in your website or one of your seminars, but you talked about, you know, keys to successful new products. And we talked sure. about, you talked about, I didn't talk about marketability, technical uh, feasibility and protectability. So why don't we, why don't we talk about those three things? Let's start with maybe marketability and we'll go through the ABCs as you kind of sure. go through that. Well, like I was saying a moment ago, it's really about understanding what is this product innovation process. And a lot of my clients don't really have a great framework. It may be, in an ISO 9001 certified company and they've got a sort of framework. They may be in a medical device and so they've got the FDA framework. Uh, a lot of the consumer products companies don't have a framework. So I recommend this three keys process. So first it's marketability. We'll talk about that technical feasibility and then protectability in that order. And again, not putting the cart before the horse. Marketability is all about understanding the, what I call the STEP, the step trends, societal, technological, economic, political trends. What's going on in the world? Why do people find themselves unhappy with what it is they have now? What is it that the offer, what's the offer you can deliver, offer being product and or service? And then why is it better uh, than anybody else uh, is got out there today? And so understanding the business model, understanding the market, understanding the trends, and coming up with a high as uh, Steve Blank talks about a hypothesis of what this product, uh, the offer can be, is really the first start. And that's the most important one to get this foundation of what the product development and IP protection will be. Okay. Se second to that is the technical feasibility, uh, which really means can you design, develop, and manufacture the product at a cost low enough where everybody, everyone in the distribution channel can make the margins they expect? I can't tell you how many times I've seen entrepreneurs who believe that they can do this product, but haven't studied the product cost and the potential for sale price close enough. And therefore, the margin, the difference between the two is fixed. And if you can't really make it work, then you shouldn't be in that business. Mm -hmm. You should redesign it. You should understand what features you can cut that the market doesn't value. And you can do that during product development. I have an article on that. If anyone's interested, if your listeners, uh, I can get them that article and make it available. The third step is the protectability. And protectability is really about first creating this blanket of intellectual property protection, design patents, utility patents, trademark, copyright, trade dress, maybe even trade secret. But also it can be supplier exclusivity. So if I want to protect my business, and uh, one of my clients had a sensor that went into a med medical device. The sensor was not his. It was a third party's that he was going to buy. So my role was to help my client figure out how to get an exclusivity agreement on that key piece of technology 
to lock everyone else out of the industry in the medical device industry. It was okay to be sold in the auto industry and the marine boating industry, but not the medical industry for a period of time in exchange for a number of units on that, on that sensor. And so that's another way to protect the venture that I help my clients with. So it's marketability, uh, number one, technical feasibility, number two, protectability, number three. Yeah, it's interesting. The protectability one, actually about five months ago, I think maybe back in January, I was brought in to, to, with a, a team to talk to this company that was rolling out a new software solution. And during the conversation, it became known that one of their key components or key codes was licensed. Oh. And they have no, they had no exclusivity. In, as a matter of fact, they didn't even have a deal with the company. And that one piece would have changed everything if they had actually came to market with it. And so um, that came out in that uh, in that conversation. And the other was uh, talking about distribution and, and the margins. You know, and, the, and again, you don't really deal in apparel, but working with um, uh, 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 brands developing clothing and, you know, they go in the market and say, oh, I could sell this for a hundred dollars. Well, so no, you, you can't sell it for a hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, you know, you need to look at your cost, what margins you want to make, what margin the distributors are going to make or the retailers. Right. right? And as you kind of go up the chain and, and a lot of times, you know, that $28 t-shirt, you know, the, the, the manufacturer five to seven making, bucks. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, and so those are kind of eye opening things. Well, I, I, how do I survive on that kind of stuff? So I, I think it's really important to, to the aspect that you're talking about. And these are great three areas to look at. I mean, it isn't one works and the others don't, I mean, they all kind of have to work together or ultimately, yes. and it gets back to that research and time and development to really understand you know, what those options are for you. I love how Stephen Covey talks about it. Seven Habits, Highly Successful People. He talks about, he gets up on the ladder and he looks at all these guys cutting the forest down and they're working really, really hard. And then all of a sudden he looks and he says, uh-oh, wrong forest. <laughs> tell me, uh, give me a success story. Tell me tell me about somebody that you worked with that came to you with a, a product idea and, and how you helped them get to market. Sure. Um, probably the one I can talk about, because as you as you met, you can imagine in my business, research and development, it's so uh, right. you know, hush hush. Uh, it's a product from um, subject matter expert, which I love working with, well-funded entrepreneur. He's a dentist, a facial pain specialist based out of Los Angeles. And he came to me with a very rough concept of a jaw stretching device. And his product is called Gentle Jaw. You can find it on the web, gentlejaw.com. And it's really, his tagline is yoga for your jaw. So if anyone has any TMJ, you know, jaw pain, mm -hmm. this little stretching device on a very prescriptive basis goes into your mouth and stretches your jaw open X number of minutes per session, X number of sessions per day. And over a period of time, uh, he can reduce, if not eliminate your jaw pain using the stretching device. Well, the device, as he brought it to me, he bought an inexpensive CAD model. It was fine for a 3D printed product, but you could never produce that in manufacturing. It just wasn't designed for manufacturing, which is one of the services that I offer. So I was able to work with him to convert the design from a concept to a truly engineered product that could be manufactured, that was strong, that was efficiently used of materials, chose the right materials, 
once we got the three sizes down and the carrying case down and the package design down, we went out into the world and found a number of potential manufacturers. And then I screened all the manufacturers, got the product costs, did a comparison analysis of the suppliers, their competence, ability, and interest in working with him and their costs, made a recommendation. We went down near the San Diego area, visited the factory, and then helped him to coordinate the tooling uh, to actually get into production. And he's in market today, and he's doing quite well, and he's selling his product on Amazon as well, gentlejaw.com. Nice, nice. So tell me one that uh, came to you and and you saw the, the horror waiting to happen. Just <laughs> that, one? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that didn't work out so well. And whether well, you were involved or just a, a story to yeah, like, the, the, like the, the, other the side. best story I did. I chose not to get involved with. <laughs> so, you know, I talked to my clients about market opportunity. And of course, the largest market opportunity would be you could sell your product to every man, woman and child on the planet. Practically, you know, it's kind of hard to address that market. But as you drop that market down smaller and smaller and smaller, your sales potential, of course, reduces. Well, this gentleman came to me. And he said, well, Eric, I'd like your help to commercialize this new product. I said, tell me more about it. He says, well, it's a USB rechargeable, portable shoe polishing device. And I said, well, okay, let's talk about the market potential. How many people in the world polish their shoes? How many polish their own shoes? How many polish their own shoes and do it where they need to take it on a trip, for example, so it's portable as a value? And how many would do it with a USB chargeable device? And this was probably five, six, seven, eight years ago. And he said, well, well, you know, I think it'd be a lot. And I said, how much market research have you done? Well, I've talked to a few friends. I said, okay, you know, I don't think I can help you unless we can do the market research. To which he paused and said, but I already have a garage full of inventory. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> he had done the design, the development, the prototyping, the engineering, the tooling and purchasing of inventory, which was in his garage. And now he was ready to try to have me help him sell it. I've seen a lot of those and I just can't help those folks more often than not. Yeah, that's, a, that's the field of dream syndrome, right? Build it. And I used that exact example yesterday. Angelo, that's hilarious. I actually had to explain what the Field of Dream story was to this person I was trying to talk to. Uh-oh. That's pretty sad, actually. <laughs> well, they were young. Okay. <laughs> well, I had, you know, it's, as, we get, as we get older and we tell stories, I remember I, I was consulting with a company and I had all the millennials in the room and I was trying to explain things. And I said, look, we can't keep having these issues and we were like the little dutch boy constantly sticking our fingers in the dike and they looked at me and said sticking our what where what are you talking about and i said have you not heard that parable and it was like no we have no idea what you're talking about and i was like oh my god hr is going to be coming in and saying hey the guy's talking about you know <laughs> <laughs> funny funny stuff um <laughs> One of the things you mentioned on your website is you're also an inventor and you've got like 65 plus patents and yeah. and that have been issued or pending. Yeah. So so are are these on your own or are these things that you get when you're working with uh, potential clients? Yeah, it's just both. Um, you know, I launched my own company eight years ago. 
So a majority of the patents that are granted and pending in my name are for companies that I worked for. So whether it's the disc launching mechanism for Mattel Toys or the tooth whitening system for Discus Dental Zoom Tooth Whitening, uh, or it's a wheelchair or remote control for digital projector, whatever. Um, those are assigned over as part of my employment agreement. On the other hand, I do have uh, a couple products that are mine. Uh, and I think one of them has a couple patents now that are public. Uh, that's a kitchen gadget and that I'm currently trying to license. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. I like yes, that. Yes, but it, I, I, I recognize the opportunity to add value in unique ways. One of my clients had a cosmetics item, and she couldn't quite figure something out, and she couldn't you know, understand how she can get intellectual property protection. And when I understood her market research and she needed to be able to apply uh, a medicinal in a particular way, I said, well, you know, if you really embedded a little pocket right here in your product, and that pocket was for the medicinal gel – now you've got something unique in the design, added value to the customer, and I think you can protect it. And that patent just granted with my name on it. Nice. Nice. Assigned I, I over think, to my client, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think probably that, again, we could we could probably talk for hours and hours about the kinds of things that were brought to you, uh, interesting products. The... Um, what do you think the, the most misunderstood thing is about when working with you and someone coming to you about your services? Can't you just make me a prototype? Eric, Eric, all I need is a prototype. And the, and the answer is 90 plus percent of the time, it's not just a prototype. They believe that the product innovation process works by coming up with an idea, then a prototype, then a patent, then making money. And this process of the three keys, first understanding the market, then the technical feasibility, then the protectability is not in their lexicon. So because I've been doing this for 40 years and teaching it for 10 years, I'm very comfortable uh, helping entrepreneurs that don't have this product innovation process expertise move through that process. Mm -hmm. And it's more than just a prototype. Well, I think, too, is and I would imagine someone coming to you is, is also they don't really understand the time that all this takes. Right. It's like, <laughs> or the money. You know, can't we just or money? You know, can't we just get this into the market in a couple of weeks? And and I think that, you know, even just from a research standpoint, I happen to be working on, uh, on a, a software program right now that that the company itself created for themselves. And they think now it's viable to take to market. And so the, the, I'm actually um, doing the research for another agency brought me in. And, you know, first thing is we're at least six to seven weeks out before we get any market research data sure. and try to get them to say, and after that, then you've got your positioning and your branding and fine tuning to your product that we're going to discover. Cause I know we will, that it needs to have these added features or, or you won't be competitive into the marketplace. And so I, I think there's, I would have to believe in my experience in developing new products as well, is there's just a misunderstanding of the time that it takes from start to actually get to the marketplace. Yes. You know, even at Mattel Toys, who was a well-oiled machine of going from concepts to launch into customer warehouse, you know, 
that period of time from first sketch to shipping product out of a china factory was typically a year and that was a well-oiled machine and so uh you're absolutely right most entrepreneurs don't understand the extent they just in fact i just had a client recently in the software industry um want to us to do customer discovery. I say us because I've got an incredible market research assistant. Customer discovery, product market fit for an IoT, Internet of Things software solution. And you know we couldn't come to terms, uh, at least not as of yet, on the amount of time it was going to take to do the market research to really understand what the market valued. Mm-hmm. You, uh, I have to ask, you've mentioned several times now you worked for Mattel. So what, what products? <laughs> Uh, well, I started with the Disney Infant Preschool Group, which included all the licensed characters from Disney, uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Sesame Street. So I actually tell the story. I've been to Sesame Street, Children's Television Workshop. Um, you know, we've, we even did licensed games for Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Then um, went over to the puzzles and games business when that started up. That went from essentially a nothing business to $110 million in about a year and a half. That was a rocket. We got the master license, toy license from uh, Disney. And then lastly, uh, really one of the feathers in my cap professionally was the co-venture of the Intel Mattel uh, smart toy business. So the CEO of Intel and the CEO of Mattel met each other at a growth conference and said, wouldn't it be cool if we worked together? And that turned into what was the uh, number one selling technology toy of Christmas 1999, a product called the QX3. It was a digital video microscope for kids that changed the way that kids saw science products like a microscope and turned it into fun learning that had never been done before. Hmm. Well, that's really cool. That was a great project. I worked directly for the chief strategy officer of Mattel at the time. What, what are two, three kind of maybe five? tips or kind of guidelines that someone's listening to this show today and says, I, w- I have a product. I want to bring it to market. You know, here are the five things or three things you need to ask yourself, if you will, or you need to kind of check the box before you go, you go much further or pick up the phone to call you. Right. So <laughs> what, what's some, what's some advice that you can give the listeners? Sure. Well, one of the, the intake processes I use for new clients is have them fill out a client intake form. And it really is exactly what you just articulated. It's like, where are they in this process? So I asked them, where are you on the marketability? And I have specific questions. Have you done any market research, competitive product analysis? Have you understood the pricing? You know, all that kind of stuff. Where are you on the technical feasibility? Have you had any engineering work done, any design drawings done, any industrial design, any prototyping done? Where are you on the protectability? Have you done any prior art search work, you know, through a, either yourself or through an intellectual property attorney? Have you filed any patents, or, you know, trademarks, copyright, trade, any of the, have you addressed any of that? And then I ask them, what do you, what's your exit plan? Do you want to, and I give them three options, commercialize your intellectual property by either A, licensing it and getting out and taking a small royalty, B, starting a factory with plant and equipment and hiring factory workers. I generally don't recommend that. And then see the hybrid approach, which is where you contract manufacturing and or contract distribution. 
And most of my clients are either interested in licensing or contract manufacturing, contract distribution. And those are the kinds of things that I ask my clients to think of. And I'm going through this with clients, you know, from simple sporting goods to um, a former JPL scientist that I'm working with right now is, is working on that this discussion, mm-hmm. uh, who is harvesting energy from the ocean to power uh, ocean-deployed sensors. So it doesn't matter, you know, if it's a pooper scooper or energy harvesting device from the ocean. It all we all go through the same process. They all go through the same process. I I, I don't know if I ever if I shared this, but. When I was um, my first client side experience was in the oil and gas industry. Mm. I was the international product manager. And one of the uh, products we did not sell, but so we were on the production side of oil and gas. And my uh, CEO wanted to get into the the drilling side. And so there was a product out there. It was called a drilling choke. And and it was the market leader owned about 70% of the market. And so he thought we could go steal some of that chair and it and for the next six months um you know a little i'm a little older than maybe some of the listeners so i actually had to get on airplanes and go to hotel rooms and go talk to people and i would travel around into dallas and denver and 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 houston and midland odessa and go out and and talk to drilling engineers about the current product, what, what they liked, what they didn't like. Then I'd go back. I talked to the engineers. They'd start developing blueprints. I'd go back, show them the blueprints. What do you think? Hey, this is great. But the, but the piping on this currently it rusts because of the corrosiveness and of the, Mm. of the drilling mud. And we got to get rid of that. And, and about six months before I actually took them back, you know, also real detailed concepts. And then that question is, would you buy this if you had it? And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, of course, you know, that kind of stuff. And then it took about another six, eight months for the company to actually produce and develop. We, we were a manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. And so they actually produced it, manufactured it, and then the salespeople started selling it. And so that was my first product experience. And it was long. But I remember there were times I was literally sitting in a hotel room in Denver. This is a true story. Trying to get a hold of this drilling engineer. I had to wait by the phone in my hotel room. Right, uh-huh. prior, a, little, a little older, no cell phones yet. And... I was just pulling my hair out. I mean, I was like 22 years old or something oh. like that. And I was just dying that, you know, I couldn't leave the room all day long. I had to wait for this phone call. And this particular case took three days before this guy got back to me. Oh my gosh. And, and it was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible. But, you know, that information was essential to uh, continuing to move forward. And I've yes, worked out I have other- one of those. If we have time, I have one of those. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. Well, so this is on my website as well. It's a story about a product called Go Speak. And what happened was this company in Camarillo, they were a manufacturer of radio frequency and uh, infrared remote controls for digital projectors. And their business was kind of like what you described. You know, they go to companies like Dell, Mitsubishi, and Focus, Hitachi, and say, hey, you know, what kind of new remote control do you want? And that was pretty much all they did. And they relied on those customers for their revenue, but they really wanted to grow their own branded product line. And that's how I got involved. So I had them pivot the way they were doing their product development. And I said, look, instead of just going to customers who are going to tell you what to create, why don't you understand what the market needs? And so I helped them to create an advisory panel of professional speakers, presenters, and trainers through the National Speakers Association. 
and then got to do a focus group. I did the focus group at the trade show for the NSA, uh, the National Speakers Association. And out of a dozen folks that were in this room and a half a dozen great new product concepts, this new product called Go Speak was conceived. It didn't have that name at the time. But all these people in the room, about 80%, to be honest, all these people really, they had the same fundamental problem, but they were clamoring, about 80% were clamoring for a solution. It was a portable PA that they could control their own destiny when they go to a speaking venue. So that it would fold up like a laptop, go in the overhead compartment of an airplane, come with a little lapel mic, and sell for under $1,000. And what came out of that research, kind of like you waiting in the room at the hotel, what came out of that research was these folks would buy that product tomorrow if it was available. So I went back to the CEO of the company and I said, look, this is a product in an adjacent market that would use your same sales force sold by your same dealer network. And these folks and this industry would buy it tomorrow. And he says, well, we don't know how to do that. I said, you don't need to. I'll find you a strategic partner. So in the end, I found a strategic partner based in Chicago who did the design, the development, the manufacturing in their China factory and shipped finished goods to our Camarillo warehouse for a $35,000 initial investment generated a multi-million dollar revenue stream. Product is still in market 13 years later on its third iteration of design. Wow. That's Just really because cool. I was willing to do that research and understood what the marketplace really wanted. Mm -hmm. Just like you had the patience to wait in that hotel room for that oh, oil yeah. engineer. Yeah. You know, I just flashed on another one and we're going to start running out of time here. But I worked with, um, uh, I guess I can say their name. It was years ago, Western Digital and sure. hard drive and they were trying to get into the gaming industry and, and they had a new CD drive basically. The problem was, of course, uh, video games that were on CDs that were being, uh, you know, being loaded. There was a delay, and so the caching was really horrible. And they came up with this piece of technology that would allow the the caching to happen much faster. So, so real time, you know, again, earlier stages and 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 video game development. And so what we did is we brought in about fifteen game designers. Wow. And and spent weeks with them having them test the product go through the product give us feedback and the engineers at, at, at wd were developing and making modifications and Love changes it. and so you know those are those real time kinds of situations where you know working on a golf product and you know the client was sitting in a room wanting to have a focus group and my point was we can have a focus group or two but i want them to take it away go use it while they're golfing and then come back again and Tell us what they really experienced. Let's do a focus group on the uh, 19th hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I really think about those kinds of immersive things and, and really getting involved and, and letting people experience the product if it's that far along. Yeah. Um, or more importantly, during that development to, to we've been talking about today to save a lot of time and energy and, and determine if it's marketable or not before they ever actually bring it, bring it just to, to leave a bug, Just to leave a bug in your uh, listeners' ears. You know, the whole study of ethnography, I'm really a firm believer in that. So, Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, this has been uh, been a lot of fun, um, a lot of great insights, and, and certainly uh, we scratched the surface of, of – I've seen some of your presentations on, on different types of manufacturing, and, and I encourage people to go to your website, and you're going to tell them where to go in a minute because it, there are so many different aspects when it comes to – frankly, product development that unless you're really experienced, 
you know, you're, you're potentially you're a, a babe lost in the woods here. And so I want to hopefully they get some clarity and, and now have a resource for someone to go to. I leave this uh, message with my students and even my clients the very first time I engage with them. Innovation is messy. It's often four steps forward, two back, three to the left, two to the right, and eventually a few more forward. With that, then, why don't you tell the listeners how they can reach you, your website, your LinkedIn, all that good stuff? My uh, website is ericpaulrose.com, E-R-I-C-P-A-U-L-R-O-S-E.com. From that website, you can find me uh, both on LinkedIn, uh, as well as for those listeners that are interested, uh, I've kind of shifted my consultation for inventors to my meetup group. I run the largest inventors meetup group in Los Angeles called Inventors Mastermind SoCal. And that link is on my links page on my website. So ericpaulrose.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening today and for joining us at the cafe. Uh, Keep in mind, if your business needs a CMO or senior level marketer, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me to find out more information about my factional interim or consulting services. You can visit theponzigroup.com and there's a variety of resources there, videos, blogs, eBooks, all sorts of great stuff. And certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, if you're a subscriber, thank you so much. And I encourage you to tell others about the show so they can benefit from the great content like we heard from Eric today. You can find out more at thebusinessgrowthcafe.com or you can subscribe on any podcast platform you like to listen to. And don't forget to join me next week here at the Business Growth Cafe. Eric, thank you so much. Thank you, Angelo. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.